Greetings, church and friends of the church. Uh, it's the first week in October of 2020, which means that we're almost seven months into this season of wilderness, with the wilderness being this metaphorical image we're considering of, the, of uh, this place that being uh, thrust out from and disconnected from what we knew to be normal, um, a season of wandering together toward a new normal that's not yet realized. It's, it's a uh, it's a season of being in between, a season where we're not monopolized by going through the motions of either the old normal or the new normal yet. Uh, and so we have this unique opportunity to, to think about and critically evaluate the patterns and norms of our life together, to imagine a future that is better than the one that we have and the one that we're living now um, with more intentionality and creativity. In this series, we've reflected on posture and assumptions natural tendencies and temptations that have evolved within us all, and the need for a spirituality that counteracts these physical forces. Uh, we've also considered some of the isms that are uh, plaguing us as a collective people, these sicknesses that are the corporate embodiment uh, of these natural tendencies that have evolved within every individual human being to fight, to assume negatively about others who are not just like us, um, and to tribalize with those who are like us. Um, we've considered how when you get a group of individuals together in a collective with these tendencies, these isms develop, antagonism, dogmatism, cultism, politicism, exceptionalism, colonialism, and systemic racism. They're all on this YouTube channel and a, uh, on our website as a congregation. If you're looking at them there, I invite you to go back and catch up. Um, if you're jumping in new. So for this episode, um, being, the, being early October, um, I've been feeling really compelled ever since Tuesday, since watching the first 2020 presidential debate, to pause our movement through this journey of reflection to not consider a new ism in this episode, but instead have a self-reflective moment pause, considering how these isms that we've reflected on previously were on display in those painful 96 minutes, both in the candidates themselves and in us as a people, knowing that watching these two men who are both seeking to represent what real Americans think and believe and want is like holding up a mirror for us to look at ourselves. As we do this, it may be tempting to think that, that I'm being partisan, but I'm not. I'm trying to be spiritual, trying to look at the world through a different lens, other than through these lenses of our, our gut reactions and our gut instincts. So if, if any of this strikes you as being you know, an assault against your guy or your people or your tribe, um, I invite you to take a deep breath and, and to ask yourself with humility and honesty, am I reacting that way because there's something here that might be true, that I can consider more deeply and that I can move beyond in order to be um, more spiritual and more connected to my sisters and brothers in this nation. So that said, where did we see these isms on display in that debate? We saw antagonism. Oh, how we saw antagonism. Um, the foundational ism, uh, an act of hostility and opposition. These candidates were not like two brothers disagreeing about the best ways to organize and run a family business with 
and understanding that at the end of the debate and the end of the day, they belonged to one another and their well-being and their success demands collaboration and, and cooperation toward a common goal, that they're, that they're wrapped up in each other. Rather, these candidates were openly antagonistic toward one another, openly hostile, clearly understood the other's opposition rather than a collaborative partner in the well-being of America. They were, there were uh, unfounded conspiracy theory-like accusations prior to the debate leading up to it. There was bullying and instigation during the debate rather than dis the respect. There was interruption and in speaking over the other and over the moderator rather than a respect for the other, demonstrated by a respect for the law and order of the debate rules. There were personal attacks against family members, uh, one because of past drug abuse struggles, and there were these personal attacks rather than empathy. There were insults hurled in both directions. However, if we're honest, which the moderator himself was that night, you know, one candidate was clearly more antagonistic and aggressive than the other. We saw dogmatism. Both of these candidates are American. Both are about the same age. Both were raised having learned of the same core principles of American freedom and liberty and justice. But we know that where there is, is little, little dogmatism, the common core is, is both visible and authoritative. And collaboration and cooperation, like siblings in a family business, is the mode of operation. But we know that when there is much dogmatism, uh, the core is neither visible nor authoritative. There's no sense that the two belong to the same movement or tribe or peoples. And allegiance and loyalty and the focus, really, of, of the people is on the interpretations of the particular human authorities rather than on the core. And when that happens, it drives, instead of a collaboration, an antagonistic, my way or the highway, winner-take-all mode of being. I can't remember a debate where I saw so much dogmatism and so little America. Every time, you know, the one candidate tried to appeal to American traditions and unity to speak to the American people is dragged back into the antagonism of conflicting dogma. We heard about the radical right and the radical left. We heard about the concern for both to, to keep their tribal followers. We heard this discussion about the number of followers at their particular rallies as if that were a measurement of what was most important. We heard assertions that they, the candidates, are the head of their respective parties and, what, uh, and that um, what the parties believe is shaped solely by their opinions, interpretations, and policies at the head. There was much conversation and argument and noise around these two competing dogmatic political structures and very little, if any, conversation about freedom or liberty or justice for all people, these cores of the American identity. It was all out on the periphery of the dogmatic. We saw cultism. Remember those three common features of cultism. First, there's no tolerance for questioning or critiquing the leader. The leader's always right. The leader's the ex exclusive source of truth. And any competing truth claims, claims are rejected as false and enemy. Those who disagree or question the leader are shamed by the leader. In that debate, we saw the inability to admit any wrongdoing with humility. 
We saw the sense of being above the laws and order of the debate. We saw the labeling of any critical claims as fake. We saw genuine and factual critiques responded to not with factual retorts, but with attacks and insults meant to elicit shame. We saw the inability of both candidates to acknowledge any truth or good about the other. Second, the driving force behind cultism is the leader's ability to coerce people to think differently using fear. And so cultish leaders stir up unreasonable fears about impending catastrophes, persecutions, conspiracies. We heard words meant to stir up fear about millions of pandemic deaths that would be caused by the other candidate, fear about millions of fraudulent ballots, fear about economic collapse, fear of capitalism descending into socialism, fear of riots and violence taking over the streets, fear of unnamed, unspecified uh, urban forces stealing away and destroying our suburbs. Fear. Third sign of cultism, cultish leaders abuse, exploit, and or oppress those who follow them so that followers do what is best for the leader and the leader's inner circles rather than what's best for themselves. In the debate, we heard about the potential of healthcare being denied to tens of millions of followers with pre-existing conditions. We heard about how millions of Americans are struggling financially, unable to afford homes and food while the candidates and their wealthy friends get even more wealthy. And while, and while some pay less in taxes than a, a, a single income family struggling to make ends meet. We heard encouragement for followers to be disruptive and intimidating at polling places, which would serve the candidate well enough, but would put followers at risk of incarceration. We saw politicism. Politics is this practice in its purest form, the practice of creating the best fitting institutional social structures that nurture a society that is peaceful and just and healthy. Politicism though, is the intentional nurture of a politic that serves a limited agenda, an exclusive agenda, the agenda of one or the few elite or privileged, instead of serving the common good of peace and justice and health for all people. The questions asked of the moderator were intended to give the candidates the opportunity to speak to how their leadership and how their policies would contribute to the well-being of all Americans, to nurture peace and justice and health among all of our people. But the responses to these critical questions of peace and justice and well-being were overtly politicized. Again, even when one candidate attempted to speak to the American people about political solutions to the issues we face, that conversation quickly devolved and was pulled back into politicized rancor. The questions about the justice and fairness of the appointment of a Supreme Court justice and about how so many will be voting with mail-in ballots. Um, these conversations that are directly connected to the trust and or the disenfranchisement that all Americans feel. These questions were not answered in accordance with what is just and fair for all people in ways that nurture peace. They weren't political answers. They were politicized answers having to do with the party currently holding the power advantage and, and all that they can do for their tribe. When, and with the assertion that, well, the other side would do it if they were able, if they were the ones in power. The responses to questions about 
COVID-19 were antagonistic and politicized rather than being about structures and programs to nurture peace and health and justice in, in a nation uh, plagued by this pandemic. The same was true for questions about healthcare, pre-existing conditions, and about the destructive forces of climate change, and about the lack of justice for Black Americans, and about the economy, which continues to widen the gap between the rich and the poor, um, about stock market numbers and, and how they don't tell the whole story because 85% of the stock market wealth is owned by 10% of Americans, and, and unemployment numbers that don't tell the whole story because so many work part-time and for for unlivable wages, still unable to make ends meet. They, they, the, their responses weren't political, addressing those realities and seeking to find a better order for all people. There was exceptionalism and colonialism. Exceptionalism is when people understand themselves to be different or superior in status or value. And the general statements and norms that apply to everyone else do not apply to them. There were signs of individual exceptionalism, like candidates acting as though the rules and order of debate did not apply to them, or persons refusing to wear a mask in the audience. Uh, even though it was mandated by the Cleveland Clinic, persons who shortly thereafter have been revealed to be positive with COVID, there are also signs of broader expressions of exceptionalism, whether it be the uh, superiority of one party over another, that party's sense of not having to play by the same rules, or appeals to American exceptionalism made by candidates uh, to everyone watching at home. Colonialism, it's that impulse born of our exceptionalism to impose our ways, our views, our norms, our practices, our desires upon others. Colonialism says that I know best and, and whether you can see it or not, me imposing my will upon you is for your own good. Our leaders are supposed to be representative of us, the people, of the people, by the people, and for the people. A majority of Americans approve of the Affordable Care Act. Two thirds of Americans favor some kind of national health plan that has a public option. Yet we saw signs of a desire by a candidate to strike down the ACA and to, to, to deny the future creation of a national plan with a public option, to impose something other than what Americans in the majority want. Similarly, two thirds of US adults say the federal government's doing too little to reduce the effects of global climate change and that stricter environmental regulations are worth the cost. Yet we heard responses in this debate that are not aligned with the will of the people and seek to impose a different approach toward the environment upon us all. As um, every network of every political flavor has reported, every poll of Americans regarding the vacant Supreme Court seat shows that a majority of Americans want the seat to be filled after the election. Every poll reported by every outlet. And yet we, we heard responses in this debate that are not, not aligned with the will of the people, seeking to impose their will against the will of the people. That is colonialism. We saw systemic racism in these 96 minutes. It was visible in the whiteness of the candidates and the moderator and the audience. It was narrated in the questions. It was affirmed that the pandemic's disproportionately affecting people of color. 
There were references to past political efforts, a particular crime bill that in hindsight were, we were able to see was flawed because of the systemic racism inherent within its assumptions and execution. There was a mischaracterization of the Black Lives Matter movement that sought to deafen others to their message of crying out for justice um, with, with the stoking of fear. There was a threat to squash them through force with the help of the National Guard, even though more than 93% of their efforts remain peaceful. There were allusions to the destruction of the white suburbs by the destructive forces of urban communities of color. There was a reference to the pandemic as the Chinese virus, which places undue and unjust and unfair blame upon a particular race and encourages xenophobia. There was what seemed like an intentional effort to dodge a question about condemning white supremacy and violent uh, racist militias. There was an unwillingness and an inability to get an authentic response from either candidate regarding political plans to move toward racial justice and an abundance of rhetoric and politi politicization um, that serves to heighten tensions and disunity rather than attempting to lead us toward unity. All of these destructivisms, symptoms and expressions of our most base and animalistic selves, expressions um, and symptoms of these tendencies that have evolved physically within every human being as creature, tendencies to fight, to assume the worst, to tribalize, all these isms were on display in these 96 minutes of shouting and bullying, insulting, and the moderator pleading for the rules of order to be respected, like a parent pleading with children. Now why? Why is that? Why was the debate like this? Because the way of self-preservation and self-serving is a vicious cycle and a downward spiral. The more that the people move away from the core principles that are ground, grounded in the well-being of all, the pursuit of life and liberty, justice, happiness, and well-being for all people, the more the people move away from that uh, out of fear and self-serving tendencies, the more the leaders who seek to represent them move away from the core also. The more the people allow their fears to trigger these tendencies to a fight, to assume negatively, to tribalize, the more the leaders must shift away from that core in order to be in that place of mirroring the people so that they might accurately represent them. If fear persists, it continues to trigger tendencies and to move the people further away from the core principles and toward dogmatism and cultism. And then in another four years, the leaders are also further away from the center core and the downward spiral toward destruction and fracture continues. This is why we can't just talk about the two candidates. They're not simply leaders trying to set a vision for our future. They're also representative of us, mirrors held up to us so that we might see more clearly the reality of the visions that we have as the people for our future together. There was antagonism and dogmatism, cultism, politicism, exceptionalism, colonialism, and systemic racism in the debate because all of these isms exist within us as a people. And they're represented and mirrored in our leaders. If we truly want to develop a vision for the future that is better than where we've been and better than where we are now, a future that's built upon 
our core principles of well-being, justice, and happiness for all people, not just some, not just the wealthy or the white, then we don't just need different leaders because those leaders are representatives of us. We need different hearts. We, the people, need to return to the core. And we, the people, need to reject the forces of these isms so that our represented leaders no longer have to embody them with such painful and dangerous results. In the downward spiral of isms, we cannot trust our physical tendencies and our instincts and our fears to lead us out of it, and therefore to lead our leaders also out from the spiral. Our tendencies and our instincts and our fears will only perpetuate the cycle. In order to break the cycle, we need to listen to a voice within our hearts that has something different to say than what these natural fears and tendencies tell us. And this is my key claim in this whole series, that in the absence of a spirituality that's grounded in uh, the centrality of the golden rule, we have no voice to counteract these animalistic forces of our self-serving tendencies, and we will only go further down the spiral. I find this healing and counterbalancing voice in the spirituality of Jesus, not in a dogmatic and cultish Christianity that is just another expression of my fear, my fear of eternity, my fear of others. It's not just another self-serving attempt for me to be saved for eternity and have the upper hand righteously or moralistically over and against a different religion, race, or tribe. Not in that. Spiritual voice isn't in that but instead in a spiritual Christianity that speaks to the norms, the attitudes, the actions in this life together that can help us to build a future of unity, justice, peace, and well-being for all people. And as we've acknowledged in this series, this kind of golden rule, common good spirituality is not exclusive to the claims of Christianity, but is shared almost universally in the core of every uh, world, religious, and spiritual tradition. In Jesus' life, where I find my inspiration and my spirituality, the political authorities who embodied and mirrored the fears and isms of his contemporaries were the Pharisees. His response to them gives us some guidance about how to respond to our own leaders, or better understand our own leaders as these mirrors of ourselves. He said to them, the, to the Pharisees, things like, you are burdening the people with laws that you don't think you have to keep for yourselves. You teach the law, but you do not follow the most important part, justice, mercy. You break this core command of God for the sake of your tradition, for the sake of your dogma. It says things like you're, you, pre, um, you present the appearance of being righteous on the outside, but you are spiritually dead on the inside. You are like whitewashed tombs. And he, he once said to them, you are like blind guides leading people astray. And I wonder how many of these images strike us as, as, as being descriptive of the leaders that we watched on Tuesday night. When we become truly grounded in a spiritual tradition, truly grounded in a golden rule worldview in which we seek to honor the life of all people and to treat them the way that we would want to be treated ourselves, truly living with love for neighbor out from a heart of love rather than living with antagonism out from a heart of fear. That is when we become a people who, when mirrored in the efforts of our leaders to represent us, 
start to move that collective story of our life together as America in the direction of peace and justice and well-being for all. When we live with intentional love rather than instinctual isms within our hearts, that is when we will see the trajectory of election debates shift in parallel with us. When we, by our deepening spirituality, by our intentional commitments to love one another, when they make us no longer a shit show and a dumpster fire, that is when the debates between the leaders seeking to represent us and guide us into the future that we vision for ourselves will also no longer be what was described by so many commentators as a dumpster fire and shit show. The early Christian leader, Paul, described this shift that comes from a grounded spirituality to the people of Ephesus in this way, as they had their own um, journey of becoming spiritual beings rather than just animalistic, reactive persons. He said, to, he said to them, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God forgives you all. We might say it this way, put away from you all antagonism and loyalty to dogmatism and cultism and politicism, together with all exceptionalism and colonialism and racism, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, loving and forgiving one another as God loves and forgives all people. Imagine what the debates would look like for leaders seeking to resent, represent people with hearts that looked like that. God help us, may it be so. Stay safe, stay home, wear a mask, this isn't a hoax. Be well and peace be to all.